You're listening to King Jesus Radio, the official podcast of New Living Way Church. In today's message, we started in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? part that we didn't get to was actually at the end here. Where it says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So in today's message, I pray that you're encouraged to recognize you don't have to walk in this life fearful. Recognizing that though this life is temporary, we have an eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we can walk in joy and in peace and comfort in knowing who our God is. And after the message, we also included today for the first time our Sunday morning prayers. And we are actually in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And this is the scripture that we opened up with this morning as we prayed together as a church. We pray that you're encouraged. Have a great day. God bless you. In the name of Jesus, we just thank you, Father God, for this wonderful, glorious day this morning. We thank you, Father God, for all that you have done and will continue to do, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Father God, for drawing us here today, Father God. We thank you, Lord, for another breath of life this morning, Lord. And we thank you, Father God, for all that you are prepared for this morning, Father God. Father God, we thank you, Lord, as we come together to seek you, Lord Jesus. And we ask you this morning, Father God, for your forgiveness of all of our sins, Father God, to wash us, to cleanse us, to refresh us and renew us and restore us. Restore us to your love and to your righteousness, Father God. And Father God, may we just enjoy this time together in you, Father God. And we just thank you this morning, Father God. We thank you, Father God, for you are faithful, you are holy, and you are righteous, Lord God. And you are worthy of all praise this morning, Father. And we just thank you this morning as we just come together to seek you, Father God, for your will to be done, not our will be done, Father God. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in the book of Ezra this morning, and we're going to be going through chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. The book of Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And I just wanted to take a little bit of time real quick. Um, this is something that the Lord has been putting upon my heart for the last couple of months. Um, just been kind of waiting on it and, uh, and just trusting the Lord through it. You know, just waiting for His timing for everything. And I believe that now is that time, so that's why this, this, this Sunday, this, uh, this first Sunday of, uh, of March, uh, we're starting this this morning. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through on Sunday morning prayers for the first word. It's going to be in the book of Ezra. And we're, we're going to go along as the Lord leads us, and, uh, and I believe there's a reason and a purpose for it through this time. And as I've been reading and studying it, it's just there's so much in here, I just, I just believe this is the right time for it. Amen? So we'll be starting off today in the book of Ezra. We'll be reading first, uh, verse 1 through 4 this morning. And so I'll open us up here. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus Cyrus, king of Persia, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So this is what we're looking at here. Now, in this time when this book is being written, or this time that we're reading today, the children of Israel are actually now in captivity. And they were taken into captivity to Babylon. Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem and took, took all of the people into captivity. So these people have been living in this land for almost 70 years. Right here is about, I believe, uh, about 58 years, somewhere around there, give or take. So I'm just going to read a couple of notes here so we have an idea of the history here as we go on. It says here that Zedekiah, that was Judah's last king, and he was carried into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. So he was the last king that was left in Jerusalem at the time, and he was the one that they killed his sons in front of him, and they gouged out his eyes because he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. 
But this was also the time that Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was burned. So when they came in, they destroyed everything. They burned down the city and they burned down the temple that had been built by Solomon. So that was represent, representation of the presence of God. That was a representation of this was God's holy city and now it was destroyed. And it says that this took place around July 18th, 586 BC. And we could actually find this in 2 Kings chapter 24 verse 1 through 4. So let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 24. I want us to look at just a couple of things here as we're opening this up today. And in 2 Kings chapter 24 verse 1 through 4, it says, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans, and bands of the Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the Ammonites, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done and also for the innocent blood that he had shed for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the Lord would not pardon. So we see here that this was not Nebuchadnezzar's plan. This was not any of the other nations' plan. This was God's plan. God had been giving warning about this because of Israel's rebellion against him. Because they were a disobedient people. And he gave them so much warning, but they refused to turn back to the living God, the one that delivered them, the one that took them out of Egypt, the one that made a name through them and showed them great, wonderful things and was so good to them. But this was now a necessary time and this was a necessary place that God had, forced, had foretold and had said what happened. And if we look at chapter 25 of that same book, it says here in verse 7, it says, They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. Now Zedekiah was placed in Jerusalem because they took Jehoiakim first. But then what Nebuchadnezzar did was place Zedekiah as the next king. But even Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And because of it, that's when Nebuchadnezzar just completely came in and wiped everything out. And not only that, but took him back as a, as a slave. And verse 9 says, And he burned the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. So, again, it's not so much Jerusalem and the temple itself. It's a representation that this is where God's presence is, or was. So for this to happen was, I mean, there's no words for it. But God spoke it and said it would happen. And why this happened was because the people rebelled against God. They misrepresented God. And not only that, they started to worship other gods. They started to follow other gods. Yes, in their heart, they still believed in Jehovah. They still believed in God. But they had compromised because they also allowed all the other gods of the land and they took that as part as their worship unto the true living God. And that's what God does not do. He is a jealous God. And because they refused to repent and turn from their wicked ways, this is why God had to bring judgment upon His people. But always remember that God is a merciful God and a loving God and He always has a reason and a purpose for it. Let's go to Jer um, Let's see here. There was a rebellion. Also keep in mind Ezekiel and Daniel were also taken during this time. This was considered 539 in 539 BC. Babylon fell by Medes and was was what's it called uh, and the Persians and that was led by Cyrus the Great. And when that time came, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was already gone, but Belshazzar was a new king in Babylon, and they basically just came in and executed him. So now Cyrus is rising up the great and he's leading the Medes and he's leading the Persians. And that's how they took over Babylon. So even though Babylon was king of the world, Babylon also had its fall and it was pretty bad. But that was also uh, prophesied by the prophets. 
So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25, and we're going to look at verse 11 through 12. And he says here in verse 11 of chapter 25 of Jeremiah, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So this is God declaring they will be in captivity for 70 years. And not only that, I will deal with the ones who took you into captivity. And this is what happened. This all took place. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29. A couple chapters over. And we're going to read verse 10 through 14. Look at the hope, though, that the Lord gives that Jeremiah prophesies all this before it happens. And in the beginning of this chapter, he tells him, yes, you're going to go into exile. Yes, you're going to go into these places. But while you're there, get comfortable because you're going to be there for a while. He let them know you're going to be there for a while. But while you're there, build houses, build families and pray and bless the land while you're there. Because as you are blessed, I will also bless those around you. And there was a reason and a purpose for this. But now he says in verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Even though he had to bring judgment and discipline, it was only for a season. It was only to get the hearts of the people right again so he can draw them and bring them back again. Because God never stopped loving them. He did this because he loves them. And this was the only way to bring them back. And look at verse 11. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Wow, hallelujah. Even though he was giving them the word and says, you are going to go into captivity and I am going to utterly destroy, but also I'm, I know the plans that I have for you. As the work is being done, and though I'm allowing this, though I'm the one bringing it, and remember that that man Nebuchadnezzar was only a vessel and only a tool to bring about the necessary discipline that God needed to bring upon his people, but in that whole time, he still gives them hope. He says, but nevertheless, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And those plans are to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. He's saying, though it's going to look like I've forsaken you, though it's going to look like it's hard, though it's going to look like I've given up on you, but I am encouraging you today, I've never given up on you. Because even through this time, there is still hope and there is still a future because it's my plan and my purpose for you. So we can be encouraged today that no matter what we go through or face, no matter all the times we may feel that, God, I think you've turned from me, God will never give up on you. There's just a season and a necessary time that we have to go through. It's to get our hearts right. Because then he says, will you seek me with all your hearts? Because he didn't want them to seek him for what, they can, what he can give them. He wanted them to seek him for who he is with all their heart so they can turn from their wicked ways. And acknowledge he is God. So this was prophesied. This was prophesied. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 44. The book right before. Yeah, it's all part of the process. Isaiah chapter 44. Look at verse 24. He says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars, who makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsels of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be be built and I will raise up their ruins. So even Isaiah is prophesying it will be rebuilt though. Though there will come destruction but I am still God and I will rebuild. Who says to the deep be dry I will dry up your rivers. But look at this who says of Cyrus 170 years before we're reading this portion of scripture God is already referring to King Cyrus by name. He is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. He is declaring this will be restored. Though I had to bring the judgment, but there's going to be restoration. So God is a God of promise. Chapter 45 says again, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the bouts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. So we see here that God is already declaring, Cyrus is my vessel. He's my instrument. And though Cyrus may not have been a complete man of God, but he was still able to be used by God. And that should be an encouragement unto us this morning as we pray and recognizing that no matter who's in office, no matter who's leading the world, no matter who's your boss, no matter who's your manager, no matter what leadership we submit under, we can know that God is above all. And that man's heart, that woman's heart is in the hands of the Lord. And he can direct it in every which way he pleases. Because even in this, God already knew who would be in order and who would be in leadership in this time that we're reading today. Wow, that is amazing. And as we read this in book, this book of Ezra, this is under the period of Zerubbabel. And I like, I read this footnote on Ezra. It says, we always hear of great men of God. We always hear of great men of God and their names are thrown out there. But Ezra comes in under the radar. But reality is, we don't realize how much Ezra is really noted for. Ezra was known as a humble, obedient helper. His name actually means help. But nevertheless, look what Ezra is known for. He's known for writing most of First and Second Chronicles. He's known for writing Nehemiah. He's known for writing Psalm 119. And he's also to believe to have been part of the council who compiled the Old Testament canon. So basically how we know the Old Testament to be in the order it is and the books that are in there, he's known also to be part of that, to be able to bring that book, the Hebrew Bible, among those elders that were part of that council. He was a priest, a scribe, and he was also a great leader. And his whole life was dedicated to serving God and not only serving God, but serving his people. So as we begin this today, there were three times in the Bible that they returned back to Jerusalem. This was a process. 
didn't happen overnight. They come against opposition. There's many things that rise up. The people fall back. But nevertheless, God is still faithful to his word. And now it becomes a process of so many years that everything is rebuilt, that the walls are rebuilt. It takes time. But what it starts with is God now declaring this is the time. And stirring up the hearts of the people to be willing to come and help and serve in building up, rebuilding the temple and everything around it. The first time was Zerubbabel led. The second time was led by Ezra. And the third time was, was led by Nehemiah. So not only will we be going through the book of Ezra, but we'll also be going into the book of Nehemiah as well. So it says here again, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. And right there it says by the mouth of Jeremiah, but we read it was Isaiah. The reason for that is because the, the Hebrew Bible is not consistent the way that we know it as, is separated by the prophets. All the prophets are actually, 12 books of the prophets are actually under one book. So they'll look at it, even in the New Testament, it says, as Jeremiah stated, but it's actually Isaiah or one of the other prophets, it's because everything's seen as the book of Jeremiah, because that's how they titled it, but it actually breaks down all the books of the prophets in that one book. So the reason for that different wording is because they're referring to the Hebrew Bible part of it. That's why they say the book of Jeremiah, but Isaiah is in that book of Jeremiah in the original Hebrew Bible. And it says, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So who's the one that stirred up the, Cyrus, the king of Persia? The Lord. Because the Lord had spoken it. And now the Lord is declaring, now is the time. Everything is in place. And now I'm going to prepare my people to return back to their land. It's also stated that Daniel must have been a part of this. It's noted that it's very possible because Daniel was under King Cyrus as well. Daniel knew the law. Daniel knew the prophecies. So therefore, it's also believed that Daniel was also able to translate this portion of Scripture in the language that could be understood. And it's very possible that Daniel could have also showed King Cyrus the prophecy concerning him. So therefore, in King Cyrus's heart already, he already knows. And don't get me wrong, King Cyrus most likely had his own motive figures. I can have them rebuild, and not only that, I could also have alliances with them because of the mercy I'm showing them. King Cyrus was about building his empire. Don't think it was just because he was just wanted to honor God. He also had his own motives. This was part of what great leaders do. They don't always want to be at war. They want to be in alliances. And this is what it says in verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. He's acknowledging and recognizing, I'm only here because of God of the heavens. He's acknowledging God. He's acknowledging the authority, and he's recognizing his authority. And in that, this is why he is giving the authorization for this. And then he says in verse 3, Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So now he's looking out to the people and he's letting him know, Whoever else is among your people, gather them. Whoever is for you, whoever is not too comfortable, whoever wants to go back, whoever desires to go back, whoever wants to come back and rebuild the temple in the land that you're from. How many of us know this was also a choice? Yes. And he says in verse 4, And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. 
and let each survivor wherever he's at. Remember when the children of Israel left Egypt? He says, go and take from the land the gold and all that they have so they would have the provisions when they went out to the promised land. Here he's telling them, go and ask of your neighbors, go in, in the lands you are at and wherever your people are at so that they may ask for all the necessary things that are needed to be able to go back and do the work that is necessary. How many of us know that God will place in the hearts of other people the provisions that me and you need? Because God was in control of all of this. God prophesied this would be done. He spoke it. He spoke of the 70 years of captivity, but He also spoke about the restoration and that they would return to the land. That is a physical land. So this morning, our prayer is, is that we would acknowledge that God is in control over all of our leaders. Though I know we should vote, and we should vote, we should be a part. But also that we would acknowledge that God is Lord of all. And that we would pray accordingly today. And that He can direct the heart of our leader, of our president, of our leaders in this country and in this world for the will of God to be done. And that we as Christians would return and recognize this and be attentive to God's calling to build up and not to tear down. How many of us know that today that the Lord is calling His people back? The backslider. Those that are lost. And not only just the backslider, but those that are backslidden in heart. Those that have lost focus of what it is to serve God and be a child of God. It's to be about our Father's business. It's to build each other up. It's to build up the body of Christ in whatever capacity that we're able to. The gifts of God that God has placed upon the body of Christ. That is our prayer this morning. For the leaders of our country, but acknowledging our great leader, our great priest, our great king. But also for a callback of God's people to have a desire to serve, to serve unto the Lord. To build up the body of Christ. Not just a building. Because we recognize it's no longer just about a physical land or a physical building. It's about a heavenly kingdom. Because as times get worse and times get darker. This is where we truly need to be about our Father's business. So that His light can shine brighter in this dark world. Working together, serving together, worshiping the Lord together in a place not where we're caught up in the ways of the world and in arguments with the world, no. But understanding and recognizing, God, you are Lord of all, my God. And though there are many things going on and many things I don't agree with, but Father, I thank you that I could come to you and I can pray for that president. I could pray for these leaders. I could pray for these voting. I could pray for all these things that are going on. And however they turn out, Lord God, I could still praise you and glorify you, Lord God. Because no matter what, it does not change that you are God of all, Lord God. And that we as Christians would have that heart to recognize that. And not allow the ways of the world to be infiltrated into the church. But that we would take the church out there. Because we are the church. But I believe there has to be a calling back. To a heart that loves God. Calling people back from the compromise. From the comfortableness. From getting comfortable in the world. Just as the people of Israel got comfortable in Babylon, they built their houses and God told them to. 
But then there came a time where now it's time to return back to the land. And not to compromise. Not to become like the world, but to be separate for His glory. Thank you, Father God, Lord, that you are greater than any fear, my God. And Father God, in the name of Jesus, as we come before your throne this day, Father Lord, seeking you, Lord. Seeking after your will, Father Lord. Your purpose, your plan, Father God. Your word, my God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you this day, Father Lord, to help us to overcome these fears, Lord. Father God, maybe we don't know what we're fearful of, my God. But Father, today we ask you in the name of Jesus to reveal to our hearts, Father God, what is that fear that's holding us back, Lord? What is that fear, my God, that is keeping us, Father, from trusting you, Lord? From making changes or doing whatever it is that you're calling us to do, Lord? What fear is holding us back, Father, for asking for forgiveness, Lord? Or for forgiving for somebody, Lord? Lord, Bring those fears to light this morning, Lord. That, Father God, we can acknowledge Him, Lord. And, Lord, we can allow You to help us to overcome those fears, Lord. When the fear of You, my God. We love You, we praise You, we bless You this day, Father, in Jesus' name. Psalm 27, verse 1. This is... In this psalm right here, it's referred to as a suffering psalm. So how many know when you're going through a period of suffering, there can be some fear? There could be those questions. Well, how come you're going through that, brother? How come you're going through that, sister? What did you do? And all of a sudden, we can come into the Lord like, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? Now we start to live fearful from God because we think that He wants to destroy us. But that's not so. God wants to be merciful to me and you. He just wants to acknowledge our need for Him. That's it. So we can walk in His grace. So in this suffering psalm, David says, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So what does light do? It reveals everything you see today. It brings light. You turn on the lights and you see the roaches scatter. <laughs> You turn on the light and all of a sudden it turns things you see. God is light. And He reveals things within our hearts, within our minds, and all that's going on around us if we allow Him to. It was the light of God that acknowledged and brought to forth that we needed forgiveness. Yes. And not only that, and my salvation. He's my Savior. He's the one who saves me. He's the one that delivers me. He's the one that protects and watches over me. And he says, whom shall I fear? David is having to encourage himself in the word right here. He is suffering. He's going through a trial. He's going through a place, but he's coming to another place that he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's declaring that to his soul. He's declaring that to his heart. He's declaring that to his mind. So no matter where you're at today, Trust in the Lord and start to declare, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Oh, come on, let's say that together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You declare that in your situation, in your circumstance, in your home, in your job, wherever you're at. Declare that. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. The refuge of my life. Oh, come on. Of whom shall I be afraid? Of whom shall I be afraid? You got the greatest protector over you. You got the greatest protector living in you. Are you suffering today? Don't fear. Though fear is real and it's there. But let me encourage you today. Don't fear. Your God is with you. I want us to look at two examples here today. 
of a place that, yes, there was a time that we did need to live in fear. But then there came a day that we overcame that fear. This message came alive to me from the other day. Somebody sent me a text and just really ministered to me. Because how many of us know today we're living in a world that there's much fear out there? So many things being said and all these different things. And they're real things. Don't get me wrong. Some of them are, some of them aren't. All of a sudden there comes fear. And our prayer on Friday night was in those fears, Lord, let them turn to you. Let the fear of the world and all that is coming upon it and everything that is going on. But Lord, in that God, let that fear be turned to you, Lord God, and let them cry out to you so they can be saved. And we're going to read Psalm 90. This is a psalm that Moses wrote. And you know what's amazing? As we read this psalm in Psalm 90, this psalm is actually referred to as a psalm of death. Don't worry, you're not going to die because we read it. Don't become fearful on me, okay? But it's referred to as a psalm of death, and I'll explain why as we go into this. Verse 1 of Psalm 90 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here's the key. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, and they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. <clears throat> For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as for many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The reason why this psalm is called the psalm of death, it's because it's referring to the first Adam, which was Adam and Eve. It's referring to our physical life in this world. And Moses is speaking from a place of a physical life. And he is declaring, Lord, we are here because of our sins and because we sinned against you. And therefore, that's why our days are numbered. But help us with the amount of days that we have here to live for you, God. In Psalm 90, verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12, and the Living Bible, it reads it as so. So teach us to number our days that we may cultivate and bring to you a heart of wisdom. He's saying in the short amount of time that we have, because we recognize we only have about 70 years and in the strength, maybe 80 But with that amount of time, we're walking in fear because we realize I only have a couple of days, even if I make it that far. The first Adam, because of sin, dies physically. Death entered the world because of Adam's fall. That's just a reality. 
We have to physically die. That's just a reality. And in this psalm, Moses is coming from a place and a heart from a physical body. Declaring who man is, but yet asking God, but we need your help. Teach us to cultivate the days that we have here. That word cultivate is to prepare for the raising of crops. To prepare for the raising of crops. To foster growth of. To improve by labor. He's saying, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is so we can learn and know, Lord, how to prepare, how to do, Lord. Help me to number my days and make every day count. To use my time wisely because I recognize, Lord, I'm not promised tomorrow. To take that time and to acknowledge that, Lord, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against my brother and sister. To take that time to acknowledge, Lord, I only have so many days here, but Lord, teach me how to use them wisely. As we learned a couple of weeks back, our time does not belong to us. Our time is in the Lord's hands. But you could have joy and peace in the time that He's given you as long as we can acknowledge, Lord, this is what I'm going to do today, but Lord God, my time is in Your hands, Lord God. I recognize that I may not make it that far. I like what Dr. Ruth said, and whether she got the healing or not, she knew she'd still be okay. You're okay today. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're all right. You're okay. You don't have to fear. God is with you. He's in you. And He's going to finish that work that He started in you. He'll never leave you and He'll never forsake you. But it's our responsibility to use the time that we do have here wisely. And this psalm is speaking from that heart that I only have so much time here. How many of you realize today, I only have so much time here? And you could live to be 120 years and that's still nothing compared to the Lord because He says a thousand years is like a day and a day like a thousand to Him. <laughs> Our time is nothing compared to God's. God is outside of time. But with the timing you have here, let us use it wisely. But not on our own might, in His might, for His glory. How many of us know that God didn't just save you just to save you? He saved you because He has a plan and purpose for you. He delivered you because there's a plan and purpose for you. And let me tell you, right where you're at today, in your home, in your community, in your job, in your family. Can I tell you something? God is using you. As Brother Gabriel shared earlier, he had to be reminded that there was a purpose why he was still in that job. There was somebody that needs prayer. There was somebody that needed to get pointed to Jesus. There was somebody, but that comes through the suffering. That comes through the overwhelming. That comes through the sacrifice. That comes through the humbling and laying down the life because God says, no, I want you to stay because there is a plan and a purpose and it's going to cost you, but in that there's going to be life. Keep going, George. There's life in it. It may be a sacrifice, but there is life in it. We got to keep going. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Look carefully when you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's using that time wisely, recognizing that I don't have much of it. How many of you watch your money? Ooh, okay, that, 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 that was a sharp arrow, huh? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't learn how to use your money wisely, you're not going to have any. 
you don't learn how to manage that money, it's going to be gone when you need it. And the only one that can be responsible to help you manage your money is you. But you can ask the Lord for help how to manage that money. Because how many of us know we need money to live in this world? So it may feel good today and it may taste good today. But when that bill comes in the mail, you're like, oh man, (laughs) I'm wearing that bill. (laughs) It's to use it wisely. And that's going to cost some sacrifice. We want to go eat out. Okay, well, you know what? No, but we got the rent coming up. We're going to have to eat in, guys. Because would you rather be living out in the street and eating out of a trash can later? Or would you rather have that Happy Meal? Oh, but I want my own meal. No, you're not getting your own meal. We're going to share this meal. <laughs> the plate's big enough. It's being wise. I use that just as an example because we do the same with our time. It's going to cost you. There's going to be a sacrifice in that. Don't get me wrong. I splurge on the burrito for myself. Don't worry. I ain't pointing fingers, okay? I'm not always as disciplined as I need to be either. But it's redeeming the time, the time that we have, but recognizing it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you the time that you think is yours. Oh, did you you catch that? You thought I was going to say your time, huh? Well, you can think it's yours, but then what are you doing? We heard it earlier. You're being wise in your own eyes. Because you have no control over that time. What do we say? I need my me time. And there's nothing wrong with resting, guys. That's not what I'm hitting on today. But let's look at the next Psalm. Psalm 91. This psalm is called the psalm of life. And how many of us know that this psalm is talking about Jesus? The second Adam. Because everything in this portion of scripture is all referring to Jesus. And it says here in verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear of the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent." For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Oh, that is referring to the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ. But can I tell you something? Even though it's pointing to Jesus and it's pointing to him, because how many of us know that our Lord Jesus went through some stuff? give you a couple of examples because it says he will give his angels charge over him how many of us know that the angels worshipped him how many of us know that the angels announced his birth the angels ministered to him in the wilderness and in the garden the angels are the ones that rolled away the tombstone the angels announced his resurrection and they will also accompany his second coming And not only that, this same portion of Scripture that's referring to Jesus, the devil also quoted. 
when he brought the temptation in the wilderness. But he misquoted it and took it out of context because he was looking to test the Lord. And I remember one time with the kids and the rich kids, I shared with them this psalm and I had to ask them a question. I said, okay, the Lord says he'll protect you. That's, that's good. I go, but what happens if you say, you know what, I'm going to go run in the middle of that street and let a car stand right in front of a car and let me see if the Lord protects me. <laughs> Is God obligated to protect you? No, because you went in your own eyes. You're not going to test the Lord that way. That's not what the Lord is referring to. It's referring to when you make Him your fortress, your refuge. When you make Him your shelter. When you make Him all that He is to you. And you come to Him and recognize that He's your Lord and your protector. But even though this is referring to Jesus, how many of us know? Because it's referring to Jesus. And since we're in Christ, it's referring to me and you. We could have life. He is our protector. This word is for me and you today. No matter what fears are out there today, no matter what's lurking, no matter what's going on, you can be encouraged today to know that the Lord is your fortress. He is your refuge. He is your buckler. He is the one that guards and protects you. He is the one that has given His angels charge over you. He is the one that will strengthen you and encourage you. He is your salvation today because of your faith in Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, verse 10 says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. But here's the glorious part. He's speaking to the disciples there, but he says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that word is not just for the disciples, but he is saying, and he was praying also for me and you, that we would come to faith and the, the testimony and the gospel that came forth through them. And this word now is for me and you. And that name of Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is peace in the name of Jesus. There is comfort in the name of Jesus. And no matter what you face or go through or going through right now, you can go through it in the name of Jesus Christ, declaring who your Lord, who your Savior is, because He protects you and watches over you in it. And even if we go home, we know that we go on to a better place. Because to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. Romans chapter 5. Verse 12 to 21 says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, <clears throat> there's Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. 
For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification, made right with God. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience they, there were many made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise God for the second Adam. Praise God through one man's death, sin entered the world and so did death. But through another man's obedience, life entered the world and life eternal. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 He says, thus it is written, the first man became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, a physical being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust and is the man of, so is the, is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Oh, hallelujah, that the Lord is changing us and transforming us to be more like Him. Not just in our appearance, but in our actions and our lives and our hearts and our morality in every area because the Lord is working from the inside out. And He has given us a spirit of life. And this is why today you don't need to fear. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You don't have to be afraid to allow God to work through you. You don't have to be afraid to allow the gifts of God to be evident in your life. You don't have to be afraid to recognize and realize that God is able to lose you right where you're at. But give glory to God because in verse 7 he says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control or self-discipline. Praise the Lord. The Lord did not give you a spirit of fear, timidity, but a power of love and of sound mind and self-discipline. He gave you a spirit that is in you, that is bold, that is confident, that knows who he is, that does not have an identity crisis. He knows who he is and greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. You are an overcomer today. You are sheltered by the Lord God Most High. Don't be afraid to keep living the day. Don't be afraid to live in that life that God has given you today. Because it's not the life in the flesh, it's the life in the spirit that is in me and you today. And He came to give us life and give it more abundantly. Let us not live in the fear of the, of the world, but let us live in the fear of the Lord. A spirit of power and of love and of self-control. We still have a responsibility to yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. We have a responsibility to do as the Spirit leads me and you and teaches us to do. We talked this morning about forgiveness. 
forgiving others and also acknowledging we ourselves need forgiveness. But we do that not because we always want to, but because we ourselves have been forgiven by Christ Jesus. But we are still challenged to live a disciplined life. You can't serve God the way you want to serve Him. You can't worship God the way that you think you want to worship Him. When you read the Bible and you come to know God, He will teach you how holy He is and how He wants to be worshipped. How He wants you to serve Him. How He wants you to bring Him praise. God is very detailed. But don't look how He's calling your brother or sister next to you. Focus on what He's calling you to do. Many times, Father, many times, Mother, many times, Husband, many times, Wife, many times, Child of God, you will be responsible to be that disciplined life in your home, in your marriage, and in your family if you want to see the glory of God and what God has for you. You have to make a choice and a decision to walk in the wisdom of the Lord. You have to make a decision to walk in the discipline of the Lord. You have to make a decision to acknowledge I'm not always right. You have to make a decision to walk in fear and trembling of the Lord in repentance. but always acknowledging, thank you, Lord, for being so patient. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for instructing me. Thanking you, Lord, that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. We serve a good God. We don't have to walk in Psalm 90 in the fear of death anymore. Because even though we only have so many years here, but we have an eternity waiting for me and you. And we can walk as living in that eternity and knowing, Lord, I know there's greater things, Lord. But until I get there, Lord, I'm going to enjoy eternity here. I'm going to enjoy this life because I got eternity living in me. Not the cologne, I got the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we can walk in the joy of the Lord today. Oh, you got that one. I like that. Amen. You know what, the, you know what eternity is. Amen. We can walk in the joy of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you something, as He transforms you, as we're reading in the book of Acts, we see that the Lord starts to transform the disciples to be more like Him. And in that, there are signs, wonders, and miracles that the Lord does to their life. But not to bring the disciples glory, but to bring Him glory. But not only that, it was the power of God that helped them to come together in fellowship. But it was also the power of God that also helped them to take correction in rebuke and instruction. We don't like that part. <laughs> we like the happy church. <laughs> but there are times, and there are many times, that God will teach us through discipline. But that's okay because He's a faithful God through it. Because that's how we learn how to discipline our own lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank You this day. We give you the glory and the praise and the honor, Lord God, and we just thank you this morning, Father God, for your word this morning. Father, we are believing that your word fell on good ground today, Father God. And Father God, it is you that brings the increase, my God. It is you that brings the understanding. It is you that brings the strength and the power to live it, Father God. It is you that brings the discipline, Father God. But it's you that also teaches us how to live disciplined lives, Father to walk as wise and not as unwise. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, as we are reminded we don't have to live in the fear, Father, of Lord, how many, how many years do I got left? How much time do I got left? But Lord, we can live in knowing, thankfully, Lord, that for the time that we do have, Lord, 
and being grateful for the time that we have and using that time wisely, my God. But Father, it can only come, Lord God, by seeking You. And it can only come through instruction by Your Word. It can only come by You helping us by Your Spirit, my God. Because within ourselves, we cannot do it, Lord. But Father, as we humble ourselves under Your mighty hand, as we seek You and submit ourselves to You, Lord God. Father God, and not being wise in our own eyes, my God, but acknowledging, Lord God, I don't know it all. Because what I know is not greater what you know, Lord. But Father God, I want to seek to know what you know, Lord. Because I want to seek to know you. Let that be our desire, Lord. Stir up the hearts of your people, Lord. Not just in this church, but in the body of Christ, Lord. Stir us up, my God, that Father, Lord, we would heed to your voice, my God. And we would desire, Father, your presence, my God. That, Father God, we would walk serving You and living and serving You, Lord, all the days of our life, Lord, out of gratitude and thankfulness for all that You've already done for us, my God. Recognizing, Father God, that we don't have to be fearful of what we may lose or, Father, what may come against, my God, but, Lord, recognizing, Lord, this life is only temporary, my God, but in You we have life eternal, Lord, Father God. Thank You. Thank You, Father God. Thank You, Father, Lord. For your word this morning, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the time of worship. Thank you, Father God, that Lord Jesus, we were able to take this time and acknowledge, Lord, those we may have sinned against, my God. Thank you, Father God. Because, Lord, when it all comes down to it, Lord, really is what we're doing is we're sinning against you, my God. But, Father, we need your help, Lord, to shine that light upon our hearts to see those areas, my God, that we too need to seek forgiveness, Lord. Because in that, my God, is, Father, a life of walking in forgiveness, Lord. So, Father, we just thank You this morning. We give You the glory, the praise, and the honor. And, Father, we just love You this morning, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We are dismissed this morning.